Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 22, all about inspection with Julia Longville. Welcome back everyone to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. We've got another special guest for you today and it's a very... It? it. it? <laughs> they are a very special guest. We would like to say a very warm podcast welcome to Julia Longville, our Dean of the School of Education and Social Policy here at Cardiff Met. Julia, welcome. Thank you, Emma, and thank you, Emma and Tom, for inviting me to do this. I'm really excited uh, to be part of this. I've listened to many of your podcasts and they are, they're just so informative and so rewarding. So to be asked is a real privilege. Before we get into what you're going to talk to us about today, you're, you're, you're here to talk to us um, in your kind of former role as a school inspector. But I'm sure that our listeners will want to know before you get into that about your background and your current position as the Dean of School of Education and Social Policy. So can you give us a brief overview of your background and your current role? I'd be delighted to and and first and foremost and Emma and Tom you will have heard me say this before I'm a teacher Um, you know when people ask me what I do that's what I say because for me that's where my career started and I still class I'm still so passionate about teaching and learning and I'm very passionate about ensuring that all children regardless of where they live where they're educated anywhere in the world have the opportunity to access the best possible teaching that they can. So my career started as a physical education teacher, and not many people know, but my second subject was drama. I'm very proud of being a physical education teacher and a drama teacher, and I got a lot of joy out of working with many very talented young people in the schools that I worked in. After 10 years of teaching then, I was appointed to a position at South Glamorgan Institute of Higher Education, which is now, as you know, Cardiff Met. And then it was 10 years, I must get a 10-year itch, I think. 10 years later, I went to work for the Inspectorate in Wales, and this was a really privileged position. And I was involved in inspections and reviews across all sectors of education during that time. Again, hugely rewarding post, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about education. I learned a lot about myself, my strengths and limitations um, from very experienced HMI um, who worked at, uh, with Estin um, at the time. And then I took the decision. I had my children very late in life because I was still playing international netball. So my children were still very young. And I decided after three years with the inspectorate and having been made permanent that I was missing a lot of things with the children, you know, Christmas concerts, sports days and the like. And a post came up back here, it was then UIC, so a new name again. And I came back, I got the job and I worked for 15 years then in, in, in the School of Sport here at Cardiff Met. And then in 2016, the Deputy Dean's role came up in the School of Education as was. And I decided to put my hat in the ring, not thinking for a minute that I would get it. 
I did, and um, I guess the rest is history. I was then promoted to Dean of School, and we took on social policy programmes, and I'm really proud of the diversity now of what we offer in the curriculum in the school. So there were any number of angles we could have picked for this podcast conversation. In fact, we could probably fill a season with just uh, Julie Longville episodes, <laughs> given all those things that you've just told us. But we decided to focus in on the inspection angle because we haven't really talked about inspection up to this point. And it's something that, that lots of people in the education world kind of think about and maybe fear uh, up to some extent. We're going to try and keep it reasonably generic. You may hear us talk about Estin, that's the Welsh School Inspectorate. You may hear us talk about Ofsted, that's the English one but we're going to try not to kind of zero in in on any particular country or anything like that but just generally speaking who are the school inspector what are they for what do they do who do they serve Uh, what goes on in the in inspection world okay so I obviously my experience is is working with Estin uh, but I will talk a bit more generically about inspection and, you know, what inspection is all about. And, Tom, I've, I'm, I've picked up something there, and again, I'll revisit this later, but you talked about um, fear, you used the word fear. And for me, it shouldn't be something uh, that people fear. For me, inspection is actually an insen- essential part of our education system. So I'm going to talk about Wales but it, for me, is essential. It's an essential part of the education system. And Estin actually play a vital role that is central to enhancing learning and ensuring that young people have access to the best quality education that they can. So I don't think we can underestimate the role of inspection and the role of the inspectorate. And I actually think, you know, we're very fortunate in Wales in in having, I don't want to say a close relationship because that that seems to imply that it a coziness. And it's not that at all. It's very rigorous. It's very robust. But we have access. We have access to inspectors. We have access to colleagues in Welsh Government. And, you know, the, if, if I hear the word uh, collegiate, collaborative, co-producing, that's what we do in Wales, and we do it exceptionally well. And all parts of, of Welsh Government, of the education sector, are involved in that collegiate approach to improving what we have Um, within Wales and for me the inspectorate play a fundamental role in that so the learner is at the heart of inspection that for me is critical Uh, the inspector's role you know what do inspectors do you asked about that well they evaluate how well young people of Wales are being served by their schools and I use their words from Professor Graham Donaldson who reviewed Estin a a few years ago and again I will talk about that later So for me, the inspectorate contributes directly to improving the quality of learning in our schools. And there's two fundamental things that we have to get right, and that is leadership and teaching. And if we get those two things right, with the help of an external body coming in and having a look at that quality, then so be it. Get those two things right, and you have a very good school. So inspections provide the opportunity for learners and their parents to have a voice. So you you will both know that there's opportunity for completion of questionnaires prior to an inspection. 
Inspectors engage a lot with learners in schools when they are inspecting. And it's that real opportunity uh, to listen to the community that is that school and, and learn about you know, what they think about their school. I've said on numerous occasions, and this is often laughed at, I would love to see uh, children on inspection teams. So, for example, if you inspect a secondary school, I would love to see, for example, a member of the sixth form actually on that inspection team because, for me, and certainly thinking about my children going through the education system, They know what the quality of teaching is like in their school. They know that better than anybody else because they receive it on a daily basis. And it's really interesting that they start to make choices about the subjects that they want to study. And one of the measures for me when you go into any school as an inspector, if you see, for example, you know, if you take your two subject areas, drama and music, you see there are quite large cohorts of students opting to do those subjects you know there's something quite special going on within those subjects because the learners have made the decision, they've made a choice to study that subject. So, you know, there are quite a lot of indicators that inspectors will use to come to judgments about, you know, what that school is actually like. So there was a review, as I mentioned earlier, and Professor Graham Donaldson, who was instrumental in devising and, uh, you know, uh, helping us with our new curriculum in Wales, suggested that it's clear that inspections will place greater emphasis in the future on how schools and other contexts use self-evaluation to highlight their strengths and areas for development. So... In short, then, inspection is is changing. There's going to be a greater responsibility on schools to produce, you know, robust, detailed, um, self-improving plans that Estin will go in and have a look at and ratify or not. But I think there will be that element of support, which perhaps we haven't seen from the inspectorate previously. It's interesting talking about that collegial relationship that, that's trying to <laughs> come about between schools and inspectorates. We know that over here in Wales, Heston actually paused, didn't they, for a whole year while they digested the implications of curriculum reform and Donaldson's report into Estin. We know over in England, I mean, we, could, we can name various bogeyman figures from, from Ofsted over in England. I mean, Sir Michael Wilshaw is a, a bit of a regular on the media rounds. He, he doesn't mince his words. He doesn't always uh, get a very fond following amongst schools. So the late Chris Woodhead, he, he was a, 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 quite a divisive figure with schools. Do you think the relationship is, uh, is getting better between schools and inspectorates generally? Do you think perhaps things, uh, things have lost their way a little bit in the past? I mean, is that a controversial question? I don't know. Um, I don't think so. I mean, interestingly, you mentioned there the, the former Ofsted chief inspector, uh, Sir Michael Will, Wilshaw. And, and actually, I was reading a piece, it's quite a, quite a dated piece, but he was a highly successful head teacher. You know, he went into that role in Ofsted as, as uh, in charge of Ofsted off the back of uh, being an outstanding head teacher and turning, uh, turning around the lives of young people in Hackney. So, he, you know, he had a, a very good pedigree. And I, th- I think that's um, something that schools and other um, contexts want to see. They want to see an inspectorate that, is, uh, that understands 
the workings of schools and other contexts, be that an FE college or indeed here with higher education. But I, I just think that there is a change. You mentioned the fact that um, there's been, a, if you like, a cooling off period, which has given the opportunity for the inspectorate to engage with uh, the clientele to find out what they feel um, should be done differently. There's been quite a detailed overview and consultation with colleagues um, in education in Wales uh, to enable that to happen. So have things changed? I think probably I, I, from the time when I trained, I trained to be an inspector some 25 years ago. You know, just, just thinking back to that, I remember getting to this, it was a five-day course, it was very rigorous, and it was very formal. So we called, you didn't speak to HMI by their first name, for example, you used their surname, so Mr or Mrs, um, Thomas, etc. Much more formal arrangement, quite a distance between the uh, those being trained and those that were conducting the training. I think that's very, very different now. Now, you, you could say, is that because of the position you hold, Julia? You know, you're dean of school, so you would expect to have a, a different relationship. But I genuinely think it, it is it is different that you don't get that. It's still formal. It's still robust. It's still rigorous. However, I do feel there's an opportunity to check and challenge each other. Uh, to be part of the communication and to work collaboratively in the best interests of improving standards. And I know that you've done quite a lot of work trying to sort of change the opinions and maybe some of the opinions that have come via other practitioners, um, particularly to student teachers. In in some instances, our programmes here at Cardiff Met, where you have tried to address them and to start to change hearts and minds um, about the perspective that student teachers and, and uh, undergraduates might hold about the inspectorate. So first of all, I'm keen to know, because I know that you do an exercise on this, when you've got this audience of um, uh, of people that you're, you're teaching about the inspectorate and what they do, what are the common sort of opinions that they tend to hold about the inspectorate and why do you think this is? It's a really interesting um, question, Emma, because I think opinion varies um, from one school to the next, um, from one one teacher um, to another. And our student teachers would have access to that variation. So I often talk about, and and it's a lecture I loved delivering. Um, I haven't delivered it in, in recent years. Perhaps the last time I delivered it, they got a bit fed up of listening to me, you know, go on about inspection. But I do feel very passionate about it because I think it has an absolutely relevant place. And the thing that concerns me is that our students uh, can very quickly become absorbed in the opinions of the particular school they happen to be placed in. So one of the things, I, I the, the lecture always came towards the end of the period of time that the students were training. And they would come in and I'd always have a slide up with inspection. And you could almost feel the atmosphere change as they walked in. And I'm talking, you know, large groups of, you know, could be 150, 200 students. And I'd always start the session with, think of words that describe inspection for you. From what you've heard, what you've seen, you might have been involved in an inspection. Just give me words. 
And I have to say the vast majority of the words that they would share with, with me would be negative, would be fear, you know, that, that idea of, of being frightened of uh, an inspection team coming in, the, you know, the, the increase in the amount of work they need to do around inspection. And they were all negative, but without prompting, there was always somebody that would give me a positive and I'd latch on to that positive word. And I would say, right, what I'm going to do in this next 40 minutes is to change your opinion of inspection because all of you leaving this lecture theatre today should look forward to anybody coming in and seeing you work and take it as an opportunity to celebrate what you do with your learners. And nine times out of ten in the years that I've delivered that lecture, that's happened with even students coming up at the end and saying, I'm so glad I've listened to you because I know now I am going to really look forward to an inspection and inspection teams coming in. You know, it isn't about doing something for the inspection or preparing for the inspection. It is about carrying on your normal practice. And if your normal practice is that you do a good job as a leader of a school, as a teacher in a classroom, then you have absolutely nothing to fear or be worried about. All you need to be thinking about is, I want to be able to showcase what my learners can do as a result of my teaching. I mean, the luck of the draw kind of tells us that some student teachers will be in a school when it gets inspected but lots of them won't and also schools have different reactions you know to, to the student teachers some of them let them do their normal thing in front of the inspectors some of them kind of feel it's it's not right to ask them to be inspected and tell them that they can you know t- walk away from it a little bit so it may be that for a lot of student teachers they don't actually get the inspection experience until they're maybe one two three years into their career haven't maybe got that PGC university support structure in place, you know, that, that, that can ask for help and advice. So let's give it to them now. I mean, you, you've said, do your normal thing, do your normal good job, don't do anything special. What would be your top tips, um, maybe over and above that or expanding on that for, for people early in their career when the inspection call comes? Yeah, again, it's really interesting, Tom. And I'm going to use the word risk to, to maybe start this sort of conversation around this part of the interview this afternoon. Uh, for me, it is about uh, control, but teachers taking risks, being creative, being innovative. But I'd expect them to do that every day, all day, right the way through their career. And the day that they stop, you know, thinking I can do something better, I can improve something is the day that they, they stop teaching. So... It isn't about preparing for the inspection, as I said before. It's about being the best you can be and making sure that you create opportunities for your learners to be the best that they can be. Um, So focusing on the learners themselves and focusing on the progress of those learners is hugely important. I know that there'll be hundreds of students leaving us in a few months' time, and some of them already know. You know, I, I follow some of them on Twitter and I see them... Uh, you know, putting messages on there about securing their first jobs and being very excited about that. And we've got to keep that excitement going. Um, so my other tip is is that, is to just keep enjoying teaching and keeping enjoying, enjoying working in that school environment. 
you know, they'll embark on their career in teaching and they will then see the visit of the inspectors as an opportunity to really celebrate what they have learned here with us in the university and what they can now take into the, that new environment. And I've got to mention there, you know, homing in on that opportunity to continue with their research. You know, some of them have done outstanding research. In fact, you interviewed one of our students a few weeks ago and the piece of work that that student had had done was just quite outstanding. And those are the sort of young people we've got now going into teaching. They're hungry, stay hungry to learn, you know, about how, you know, assessment for learning. What have we learned about assessment for learning? But how can we really stretch that and stretch the boundaries and be proud be really proud of what you do. Engage with inspectors. Um, you know, take the opportunity. You'll remember th- from Graham Donaldson's report that he talks about the exceptional abilities of our inspectorate. And these are people that have got a track record in education in different sectors. You know, learn from rubbing shoulders with anybody that comes into your classroom or into your school and to keep developing those ambitious learners who are hungry to learn. Create an environment in where all your children have a sense of belonging and a self-belief that they can achieve and do well. And I feel really strongly about this because, you know, I've inspected schools in what I would call leafy suburbs, but also in quite challenging geographical areas in Wales, both in the north and in the south. I've inspected across Wales um, over the years, and I've seen some outstanding practice regardless of where the school is. And there are other schools, let's be honest, there are other schools that are a little bit stuck. And it's about helping and supporting those uh, schools that are a little bit stuck. So our student teachers going in, if there's one tip I would give you is, you know, take that self-belief with you. Take that knowledge and understanding that you've got. Help and support your schools and celebrate that best practice when an inspection team comes in. Just thinking they're going off piste a little bit. Uh, I know when our student teachers are looking for jobs, you know, one of the first things they do when a job comes up perhaps is read the Estin report for the school. And maybe they would think twice about a school that was currently maybe in special measures or getting challenged by an inspectorate. And I know I've had some, some you know, tricky conversations about the importance of placing students in schools that are maybe in special measures or maybe in, in the red band. But maybe they shouldn't write those schools off because that could be where the real innovation and, and high speed change is happening. And maybe where the new fresh ideas of a student teacher might be more welcome than maybe some of those schools who are a little bit happier with where they are. I think it, it, you know, Tom, I completely agree with you. I would love to be able to place our students in, uh, let's say, schools that are a little bit more challenged, because I actually think our student teachers could contribute a great deal um, in those particular environments, and they would they would learn. Uh, a lot from the experience of working in those schools. I think it's also, uh, we also need to make it clear that those schools are well supported. So where we've got a school that is stuck in Wales, um, they are supported in lots of different ways, um, from collaborations with other schools, from you know support from their consortia, those schools are supported. So putting our student teachers in there and certainly applying for a job if you are an NQT can work very favourably. 
we all know, show us a brilliant teacher, show us a brilliant student. When we've got some brilliant students, put them into a challenging context and they'll make a difference. So I would love to see our students placed in those more challenging environments. And I think that will come. Thanks, Julia. Speaking from um, personal experience, a big part of the inspection process that can maybe incite fear the most into the classroom teacher is the observation. And I've had a kind of mixture of experience uh, over the years. And you mentioned earlier on about, you know, um, student teachers uh, and, and teachers more generally just keeping things creative and innovative. But I'm going to challenge you a little bit there because I think where I might have gone wrong when the inspector did turn up with their clipboard to my lesson was that I maybe tried to do things too differently to how I normally did things with my learners and and that wasn't necessarily uncreative in my in my usual lessons it's just that it was maybe outside of the normal what my 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 pupils were used to and they're kind of like well, miss what are you doing <laughs> so how do how do we ensure and how do we how, what can you say to teachers who you know might be really fearful of that observation about how to prepare and how to engage and what to expect from that inspector when they come in with a clipboard so I think the first bit of advice I'd, I'd give, and I've seen this happen on numerous occasions, where um, you go into a lesson and the teacher teaches for perhaps 80% of it. So talks for 80% of the lesson with the, the learners there quite bemused by, as you've said, Emma, what are you doing? This is not what you normally do. You're no, we're normally very interactive. We've given tasks and, you know, we, we, we develop and we progress through the lesson. And it, 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 that can be a nervous thing. It can be, a you know, I've, I, as I say, I've seen it happen so many times with teachers where they feel they've got to be seen teaching. And yet some of the best lessons I've seen have been where the teacher has facilitated the learning and the learner is, is very much, you know, engaged with developing their, their own knowledge and expertise to, to share with others in the class. So it's a really interesting question. And I think more and more now, what we see is, and, and you know, the, the, the answer to the question starts well before the inspection team comes in. So where I see, you know, outstanding teaching and learning, there is usually a review process going on in the school that is part of that. So teachers are used to others going into their classroom. So it doesn't matter really this, if somebody comes into the classroom or they, or they don't or comes into the drama space in, in your case or not. There is this system that sits behind. Where I've seen it done really, really well to so this review of teaching, and I actually believe that reviewing teaching is something that is absolutely essential. For example, um, it could be the setting up of a triad. Um, we we um, accessed some Australian research a couple of years ago where, where this had been done quite extensively. So you choose your triad. But you also choose what you want the focus of that particular observation to be. So it's that review system that comes first. Then it becomes a very natural part. So anybody else coming in into the classroom doesn't phase the teacher at all because they're privy to this either review as part of performance review or what I think is better, a peer review 
system. And there's lots of other examples of, of, of observing teaching um, in practice. And at the end of the day, an inspector is not there to really observe teaching. They're there to observe what learners can do as a result of what the teacher does and how the teacher teaches. Um, so it's, it's having those robust systems in place. So the inspector, when they go in, will do a number of things. And I, I can only talk from my own experience, but I would observe. It's quite funny within my own subject area, um, physical education, you might be in a space like a gym or a sports hall, and the learners decide to go as far away as possible from where you're standing. So I would get round that and actually help the teacher by moving by rotating around the space so that in the end they'll use the whole space if they don't actually know where I am. They will, will look at children's work, so they'll, um, they may have a look at books um, as children are working. They'll listen, listen to learners' responses, and they may even join learners in perhaps a task. So if there's a group task going on and the inspector can go in and actually sit in and listen, but also potentially join in, I, whether I was supposed to do that but that it's it's quite natural isn't it um it, it's what you do so it's absolutely important that we get to a point where teaching is consistently good or better in all of our schools because if it's not there are learners who are missing out and we all know you know there are there are you know outstanding teachers there are good teachers there are some teachers who need help and support and in the good schools that help and support is provided so it's nothing to to be concerned about, um, but I do I do understand what you're you're saying. The other thing I I think is really important prior to not prior to inspection, but uh, as a normal everyday you know sort of it's it's professional learning. It's engaging with professional learning about teaching and about pedagogy, and sharing best practice within um, w- within teachers in the school. And going right back to where I started my a bit of a rambling answer. You know, it's very much about that peer review. What you can learn from peer review is just enormous. You can get great joy from going in and seeing each other working and helping each other. One thing I suppose some teachers might be a bit curious to know is, I suppose, looking at the most simplistic view of a school inspection is that, you know, a team of inspectors is going to come in and they're going to make judgments about aspects of the school. I suppose from a teacher's point of view, they're particularly interested in their judgment on whether the teaching and the learning is is excellent or not so excellent. So how do the inspectors know? Who who tells the inspectors what's what's excellent, what's not so excellent? What's the process by which school inspectorates can actually keep themselves up to date with, with what's good and what's not so good? Um, Again, I think it's about observation, isn't it? It's having that opportunity. There is absolutely nothing better for me than seeing an outstanding practitioner, an outstanding teacher. And I used to be asked this question a lot. But before I answer, give you a a detailed answer to that question, I want to pass the question back to you. And I'm I'm going to go back to the example I gave you of the students and asking them for words. How would you think of that role model, think of that teacher that had that great impact on you? And what words would you use to describe that outstanding teacher? <laughs> Tom, I'm going to start with you on this because you was, uh, your philosophy, I really like your philosophy about um, pupils feeling like they did it themselves and how important that is to you. 
Yeah, I've always liked the pupils to, to believe they've done things without me. I like the pupils to think that they don't need me. I don't ever want a pupil to be, oh, you know, sir, you know, it's a, you're so wonderful. I did this because you're such a wonderful teacher. You know, I actually want them to believe that it was nothing to do with me, even if they kind of twig maybe 20 years down the line that maybe I was doing something. I like that. I like the, I like to be something slightly more subtle than that. But then, of course, there, there's such a kind of such a thing at the moment about direct teaching and all of that, you know, which I, I struggle with because I find it's a bit, for me, it's a potentially a bit of an it's all about me thing. So, so then there's a kind of, then there's a tension there, isn't there? And I wonder, is that because I teach a subject where perhaps it's easier to be more of a facilitator and maybe there are more content driven subjects. So maybe my philosophy only works for me and my subject domain. Yeah, <laughs> it's a difficult one. Honestly, as soon as you start to go down this rabbit hole, it's really difficult. Um, Dr. Kev, who uh, has been on the podcast before, he tweeted something about this last week. And it was, he's obviously does a lot of reading and research into curriculum and, and learning more broadly. But he was citing Dewey and he was talking about, um, or Dewey was talking about like learning being the end not the end goal but being the goal rather than the outcome and the product like we, we can get really sidetracked can't we by you know stuff, stuff <laughs> yeah about you know exam results and that is really important I'm not devaluing that it's the currency that you know they've decided not to do away with the GCSE model here in Wales because it's recognized globally it's got currency and we want our our pupils to be able to access those kind of power structures and and be able to get on in life but I want my pupils to to love learning, and I know it sounds cheesy and it maybe sounds corny, but I want them. I want just the the act of learning, and to never want to stop learning, being one of the main goals in my classrooms is to ask why and how and what for and why should I and to be questioning. I think, you know, what you've both said is really um, powerful and really interesting. And that idea of the learning process, for me, you know, the way that children learners engage with that learning, if we get it right, can stay with them forever and a day. Um, Going back, Tom, to the point you made about the direct teaching uh, and, uh, you know, talking again about, uh, you know, when I taught dance, I mean, what gave me the most joy was when you actually saw uh, young people choreograph something as a result of maybe the direct teaching that you've had, the input you've had, but that they've taken way beyond anything that you expected. And I've seen learners produce stuff that Inet would never have ever thought of doing. And that's, I think, when you think... I've cracked this, you know, I've taken those learners to a point where they have that self-belief that I talked about earlier, they have that confidence to be able to access learning in whatever context, and, you know, at the end of the day, they take that into their further study, or they take that into employment. So we've got such a massive responsibility to get it right, but I don't think there's any particular model that is says that's the best way and haven't we seen a lot of those about you know where you'd go you sometimes I've been in an inspection and you can see that 
Everybody has been to told you have to teach a four-part lesson, for example. I mean, thankfully, we're, we're, I think, far more innovative and creative now, and we, we see less of that prescription. It's about not being prescribed, I think. It is important. Interestingly, Emma, uh, you mentioned outcomes there and grades, and I feel that the inspectorate in Wales is moving very much away from um, that idea of the standards prior to going in. You know, you can look at what children have attained over a period of time. And we're talking different cohorts of students, uh, of learners. But, you know, you've, you've got that data. I think we're going way beyond that now. And I, I really welcome that opportunity to focus much more on um, some of the things that Graham has suggested in his review that the ins- inspectorate should, should really focus on. You know, things like the curriculum, uh, engagement with the new curriculum, pupil progression, um, achievement and well-being. Gosh, with the year that we've just been through, you know, that for me is so important. Uh, the quality of learning and teaching, because we haven't, if we haven't got that right, then the other things can't look after themselves. And then, of course, linked to that, the leadership, and I don't mean top down, I mean leadership at all levels. Every teacher, as soon as they walk into a classroom, is a leader. Um, that effectiveness of self-evaluation and engaging with that, that process. You asked about what outstanding teaching looks like and and for me there's some real key indicators. Basically, and you talked about stuff earlier, Emma, great teachers know their stuff. And when I say know their stuff, they have subject knowledge and for primary teachers that is wide-ranging and they understand pedagogy. So for me there's two strands to outstanding teaching and that's subject knowledge and that's pedagogy, and they're able to apply theory to practice and continually engage with research. They have that hunger to keep looking at the research that's out there, what's the up-to-date stuff, and learn potentially new and different ways. They have high expectations. I think I've I've covered that. Uh, But for me, there's something else here, and it links back to Professor Brendan Cropley's podcast with you. And like him, I'm an absolute absolute advocate reflective practice I actually think if you cannot reflect and you can't apply the theory of reflective practice in your teaching and in your leadership in every aspect of your profession you can't be as effective as you might be because you just don't know so it's that ability to continue to reflect and review and change and modify to get those best working practices Developing working relationships, and this was an interesting one that I developed my sort of uh, experience of when I was with the inspectorate. It isn't just about the positive relationship, it's about the impact that has on children's learning that is so fundamentally important. So you can have a positive relationship that has no impact at all on learning. And it's the way that the teacher then engages, for example, with the learners and with the support staff that might be in the room utilising the expertise of support staff is is fundamental to that success. Overall, I think the best teachers are really well respected for who they are and what they do. You you see it, you can feel it. They ask the right questions. This for for me again, we have not I've not talked about assessment, but great teachers are able to provide really effective feedback to target when that is given to ask the right questions 
And I've seen some fabulous examples of outstanding questioning, which is directed to the ability of the pupil in the group. And it, again, enables those children to improve. And more than anything else, I think learners deserve the best, regardless of where they are geographically located. And teachers have to get the best out of their learners to do their job effectively and, and at that expert level. Thanks, Julia. You you mentioned earlier in your response about how sometimes, for a number of reasons, but maybe due to some misconceptions around what um, inspectors are looking for, schools can opt for um, strategies that become a standardised expectation across the board. Um, and you talked really compellingly earlier on about you know how subjects can be particularly at secondary really distinctive so what good learning and teaching can look like in drama can look quite different because it's such a different subject to what it looks like in music but sometimes for all those weird quirky reasons we end up with fads that become kind of poor proxies for learning because as we know learning is it's an invisible thing it's happening inside the minds of our children and sometimes you know, showing evidence of learning can lead us down a really negative garden path of, and we end up with these poor proxies like everybody must use a purple and a green pen to demonstrate that feedback has been given and that the pupil has fed back on the feedback or done some work on the feedback. There's just one example. Remember the verbal feedback given stamp? We had a chuckle yeah, over that. There's a, <laughs> there's a funny one actually for our discipline because we often at Key Stage 3 in drama, you know, rightly or wrongly, we, we don't necessarily have books. Um, and likewise in music at Key Stage 3. So you know, the pupil, we, uh, and our subject couldn't survive without verbal feedback. You'll know this yourself as a drama practitioner in the past yourself. You, you give them feedback all the time, but you've got no book to stamp it in. So what are you going to do? Stamp it on stamp their heads? Stamp their heads, yeah. <laughs> verbal feedback I've given off verbal you feedback. <laughs> Make sure yeah. you walk past an inspector on the way out. <laughs> So, I mean, we, I, I, we've got to laugh at it, but it, it does still go on. And there are numerous Twitter accounts, actually, that we've brought to the fore on our, uh, our podcast that, you know, make light of this. But, you know, how do we and how and what role does the inspectorate take in this, you know, make sure that we don't have this rise of these poor proxies for learning? Uh, you know, they are just that, Emma, aren't they? They're, they're poor proxies. And inspectors are experienced inspectors. So our current inspectorate a team will go into a school and they will be HMI. It'll be, it'll be led by a HMI. Uh, they will be peer inspectors, potentially from other schools, in, sometimes in similar contexts, that will be part of that team. So again, they know their stuff and they would see straight through that because the quality of what they will be observing won't be as good as it could be. And you're quite right, you know, different environments uh, require different pedagogies, different approaches. And, uh, yeah, I've seen some brilliant examples and heard of some brilliant examples. I can remember um, of how not to do it, I should say. I can remember uh, running a course in West Wales and an ex-student, actually, who's now a head of department, said to me, how can I get round the fact that my head teacher expects me to take children into a classroom in year nine, not do physical education, but take them into a classroom because they've got to show evidence of written work? I said, the simple answer is give him my phone number, or better still, give, give me his phone number, because that's not what 
physical education in Key Stage 3 is about. And inspectors wouldn't expect to see that when they go into, into school. We talked earlier about well-being. I would expect children to be engaging in physical activity, focusing on their overall well-being. So, you know, some of, some of these things um, that, that you've described as the, in, you know, the in-vogue things to do. We talked earlier about the four-part lesson. I've got friends that, you know, are outstanding teachers who don't get that outstanding stamp on their head because they've missed maybe something off the tick list that schools, I have to say, used to use as part of a peer review system. So I think it's changed a lot. And I think that idea of everybody doing the same is not there. So sometimes you'll walk into a space and I can think of one where they were making costume out of paper. When you first walked in, you think, this looks like bedlam. But wow, it was it was just amazing. You know, it's that it was that wow factor. And I've been privileged to see a lot of that during the, 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 the period of time that I've been both teaching and inspecting. And indeed, now I work with some outstanding practitioners here in the university and we're privileged to 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 work with students that are going to go out there and be the next teachers of the future and what I would say to them my clear message would be don't be afraid to challenge in a positive way just ask those questions in the same ways we'd expect children to do if you're expected to do something just ask those why questions Uh, is, is there a reason is that the best way could we perhaps try so that we challenge that 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 situation that we find ourselves in to have an important role to play in all of that. Julia, it's been really great to tap into your experience and expertise in the world of the inspectorate and to ask some of the more challenging questions that I think um, hopefully our, our listeners will have wanted to hear your, your thoughts on as well. So thank you for that. It's been um, really insightful. So on to the short slots now. And we always ask our guests this. Have you done your homework, Julia? <laughs> I have done my homework, yes. I have, And I actually discussed my homework with family members as well oh, fantastic. so I've had to edit that a little bit <laughs> <laughs> now I think um, probably where I want to start um, I hope you don't mind Tom I'm just going to take the lead on this one I know that you're a very big advocate at Cardiff Met and particularly within our school um, of staff maintaining their well-being looking after their well-being particularly at the moment as we were still facing the challenges that Covid has, has thrown at us so um, I'd like to know how you, the Dean of the School of Education and Social Policy, looks after her well-being. I'm not always very good at looking after my own well-being. Um, I'm continually reminded that that's something that I need to do. And I feel much, much better when I do focus on it and I eat properly. I don't skip meals. And I basically, the answer to the question is, I go to my happy place. And my happy place is by the sea. And part of the reason for that is I was born and brought up in Barry, so I was I, I was you know I was brought up near the sea. As a child, my parents worked very very hard to enable the four of us to be, you know, go into the professions that we wanted to go into. And I spent a lot of my childhood at a caravan, and I probably ran wild, you know, for basically the whole of the summer holiday. But <laughs> it was near near the beach again, so I absolutely loved the sea. 
I'm a lover of exercise and I need to do more of that. Uh, and these days that involves walking the coastal path in Pembrokeshire. I just get a lot of joy from being in, in that sort of environment. I do enjoy all the things that everybody says around reading, etc. But there was there was one thing that I will mention. And being a Barry girl, and you that saying you can take the, the girl out of Barry, but you can't take Barry out of the girl is very accurate. And I, I do love uh, comedy, um, and I love Gavin and Stacey. Um, and I have been known when invited to a fancy dress party to go as the main one of the main characters, <laughs> Nessa. And I do a mean impression. Uh, all right, Stace, what's occurring? <laughs> Lovely. And you can cut all that bit out. No, it's but, being in. No. Don't you dare. <laughs> but but my, my main thing is, is you know, that uh, being near the sea, making sure I eat properly, um, making sure that I exercise and I, I just love the, the fact we live in a beautiful country and, you know, it's on our doorstep, so why not? Barry Bados, there you go, well, from hey, the Dean, head down there. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, the, the metropolis that is. <laughs> <laughs> and Gavin and Stacey aside, do you have something interesting that you've watched or read or lis- listened to that you would like to recommend? What have I listened to and what have I read? Well, obviously your podcast, and I, I, I say that very, very genuinely. You know, I, I, I do love, I, at the moment, I'm reading a lot of stuff around leadership. And part of that might sound a little bit boring, but I know that the day I stop learning in the job that I'm doing, and I think I know it all, will be the day that I say I hang up my, my daps and I, I move on. I, I just love learning and I love uh, I like the challenging situations that leadership brings and it those come on a daily basis definitely a weekly basis and I like to find the best way to get around those so I am reading quite a bit around leadership and change management and I think you know you you two would have both experienced that we've changed quite a lot within the school in recent years uh, and I'm talking about leadership at all levels so our next focus, um, as you know, is around our programme teams and making sure that we have leadership at that programme level that is, again, going to enable us to provide the best for our learners. Thanks, Julia. OK, so that all that remains then is, have you got something for our listeners to try? So I talked earlier about risk-taking and being creative and and I just want to home in on that and and home in on, you know, we've talked about inspection today and I should say, if you ever get the opportunity, anybody listening out there, um, to become a peer inspector or indeed join the inspectorate, don't give it a second thought. Get your application in and and give it a go. Uh, You won't be disappointed. You know, it really is a great position to hold. Always look at new and novel ways of in, engaging learners. And I'll, I'll leave you th- with this one. And um, I won't say the school, and it's many years ago, but I always remember this. It was a sixth form um, French lesson. Um, so I was way outside of my comfort, comfort zone. And, you know, as an inspector, you go in, you don't just look at your own subject area. And the teacher had a squishy rugby ball um, at the front of the, the class. And as the students came in, she threw the rugby ball and they were clearly very used to this rugby ball flying at them as they came through the door and she would ask a question and they would be expected to answer in French and my French my limited limited French was good enough to realize that she was asking quite complex questions
questions of those high flyers in the group and less complex um, those that perhaps were, were struggling a little bit more with the, with the language. But straight away, you got that sense of belonging in that, in that classroom. And again, it was about knowing your learners and being able to challenge them in, them in the best way possible. So, yeah, they're not rocket science examples, but... Most of all, I would just say, just enjoy. Teaching is an absolutely wonderful profession. And, you know, go into it with eyes wide open, keep them wide open and enjoy every minute. So a huge podcast thanks to our Dean, Julia Longville, as I've nimbly skirted around yet another opportunity to get my P45. Think I've, <laughs> <laughs> think I've escaped again and we've reached the end of an episode and, and the end of a season. It's the end of our third year of podcast episodes. Whoever thought we'd get there, Emma? Who'd have thunk it, eh? And it's been really great to have you for this final episode of this season thank you so much for joining us and uh good luck for 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 a nice summer i hope you get to uh spend a lot of time down barry bedos <laughs> well we we go to a different beach now but um yeah it's I, I you know that happy place being by the sea here in the sea but can can i just say one last thing to finish up because it is three years you've been doing this now for three years And I would just like to say a huge thank you to the two of you on behalf of the school and the university, the listeners out there and the number of hits, if that's the right expression, that you've had, uh, and particularly over the last 12 months, has been really quite outstanding. And, you know, I, I, I have to make it absolutely clear that a lot of this work you do within your own time, and it's because of your love of being able to share Um, the expertise of some outstanding speakers that you've had um, come along uh, uh, to work with you and just just quite brilliant and let's carry it on let's keep this going uh, because it really is a fantastic opportunity for us to engage with the world uh, and get out there what we actually do at Cardiff Met it's a great place to work and you are outstanding colleagues to work with thank you Thank you, Julia. Well, we'll leave it to our international listeners to work out what you'll be hanging up when you're hanging up your daps. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Of course I forgot about that. We'll leave that as an exercise for our our resilient self-learning international (laughs) listeners. Answers on a postcard when you've worked out what they are. We will put a few things out over the summer just to kind of keep you on board. But with the blessing of the Dean, we will be back in September 2021. And we're looking forward to it already. You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. We'd like to thank everyone who's appeared on the podcast in Season 3. Jordan Allers, Dr Judith Neen, Elizabeth McGregor, Katrina Kirkland, Professor Brendan Cropley, Rachel Morgan-Jones, Rian Mulligan, Colette Carter, Lee Dimitriou, Fiona Heath-Diffie, Dr Fiona Chambers, Dr David Aldous, Dr Anna Bryant, Cameron Stewart, Dr Louise Allen Walker, Lisa Taylor, Abby Chase and today's guest, Julia Longville. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blandford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We'll be back in your ears with something interesting next year. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching. <laughs>